You are listening to Melbourne Lights Church Weekly Podcast. Alrighty, let's go. So, for those of you, there's many of you that I know that I've known for a long time. There's some of you who I don't know so well, some people that I've just met recently. So, for those of you uh, who maybe don't know me so well, I would say that I'm probably a person who has fairly strong opinions about, don't laugh, <laughs> but thanks to Jesus, I, and or I'm hoping this is true, I feel like over the years I've learned to temper most of these strong opinions most of the time with grace and with love. I'm trying, the Holy Spirit is working in me. One of the things that I feel very strongly about though is being served hot chips without enough salt. <sighs> Honestly, if there's anything that is going to annoy me, it is that. I just, I don't understand. You know, like the person who's making the chips, like you have one job. Okay, two jobs. Cook the chips, season the chips. Two jobs. It's not a hard job, you know? So like, I just feel like chips, they're so bland and they're disappointing when they don't have enough salt. Now, the problem is that as I'm getting older, it's getting really hard to not say anything. I don't know if any of else of you have discovered this, that as you get older, I don't know if you just get bolder or if you just care less. I think it's a bit of both. But like now I, now I go back and I'm like, I try to do it nicely. And I go, can I please have some more salt on my chips? And I know that it's like, I don't want to be that person, but I am that person. So I'm just, you know, I'm just rolling with it. So I feel like there are some things that are meant to go together, yeah? Chips and salt meant to be together. Obviously, having salt on chips is a bit of a silly example. Um, But when it comes to the church, and when I'm talking about church, I'm talking about God's people, yeah, I'm talking about us, I think there are some ingredients that are essential. Without them, the church or the bride of Christ is bland and disappointing and undesirable. And we don't want to be those things. Jesus says that he's coming back for a spotless bride, and that until he comes back, that our job is to be his representatives here on earth to a world that doesn't know him, yeah? yeah. Hopefully you know that. If you're, if you're part of the bride, hopefully you know that's your call. So today I'd like to talk about three key ingredients that I feel like God's placed on my heart um, that are essential to a healthy church that knows Jesus personally um, and wants to represent him well. Is that cool? Yeah. Fabulous. All right, so we want to be the salt but not salty, Yeah. Because, like, don't be a salty Christian, because they're the people who say mean things and make people upset and people don't like the church, but be the salt. All right, so number one, my first point today is that the bride of Christ is called to be a holy people. This is, I'm just warning you, this is a chunky bit, yeah? There's a chunky bit and then there's two slimmer parts. This is the chunky bit, so hold on. So before we get into what that looks like for us, I want to talk about the holiness of God. There's a man named Thomas Watson, and he said this, Holiness is the most sparkling jewel of God's crown. It is the name by which he is known. Holiness is to be regarded not as a distinct attribute, but as the result of all of God's moral perfection together. And this is why Isaiah wrote, For thus says the high and exalted one who lives forever, my name is holy. So holy, it's the name that God's chosen for himself. The Hebrew word for holy is kadosh, the Greek word is hosios, and they both mean to be distinct or to be separate. So he's other than us in his very existence, in his nature. So in case we didn't know, there's nothing in creation, there's no one in creation that compares to him. He is incomparable. He's infinite perfection, and that's why his name is separate and distinct and holy, yeah? So Exodus 15:11 asks this question. Who is like you, majestic in holiness? And then 1 Samuel um, 2, 2 gives us the answer. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one beside you. So these scriptures, you know, they're stating the reality of God's holiness, that there is no competition. He has no rival. He has no equal. And there's this natural response that springs forth in heaven to this revelation of God's nature and name. And we can see it in Revelation chapter 4, where it talks about the living creatures. It says there's four living creatures. Each of them have six wings. They're full of eyes all around and within. And day and night, they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. 
I love it. The living creatures and the elders, they can't stop speaking about God's holiness. It's perpetually on their lips and it produces this ongoing praise and adoration for who he is. And then I like it because there's also a response that's required outside of heaven and it's a call for the whole earth to respond. Psalm 96 verse 9 says that we should worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness, tremble before him, who? All the earth. First Chronicles 16 says, ascribe to the Lord the glory that is due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. It's like this command and an invitation at the same time. It's saying, bring an offering like he deserves an offering, come before him, worship him. It's saying, people of the earth, recognize who God is and let it produce within you a right response. Let it guide and motivate your life. And this kind of brings me to the point that I wanna make this morning, that the bride of Christ is called to be a holy people. So this is what God says about us in First Thessalonians 4 verse 7. He says, for God has not called us for impurity, but for what? In holiness. 2 Timothy 1 verse 9 tells us who saved us or God saved us and he called us to a holy calling, not because of our own works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. So just as God is set apart from people and he's distinct in his nature from mankind, we as followers of Christ are called to be set apart and distinct from the world. It means that the repentance that we experience at salvation should actually lead to a transformed life. Yeah? I love what um, Elodie shared a few weeks ago. She was talking about God's intention in the Garden of Eden. You know, when God formed man from the dust, it says he created him in his likeness. And it's so beautiful because I think we forget sometimes Adam was actually the son of God and Eve was the daughter of God. And together, they were this perfectly harmonious family. I've got two boys. Uh, Riley's nine, Lewis is eight. This is the part of the year between their birthdays where it sounds like we're insane and we had children like one year apart. But really soon, Riley will turn 10 and then it kind of sounds normal again. It goes back out to two years. So my two boys, they're obviously not exact copies of me or Olaf, um, but they're a bit of a mix of the two. They do look similar to us, I think, um, physically, but also in their personalities. You know, there's funny things you see about your kids and you think, oh, that's so me or that's so them. Yeah, and that's normal. Most families have things in common. It's normal for children to look like and to emulate their parents. People often tell me, Um, actually all the time, people tell me that I look and sound and act just like my mum, Louise, all the time. If I had a dollar for every time someone had said it, I probably wouldn't need to work anymore. But, well, I I assume they mean it as a compliment because I'm taking it as a compliment, (laughs) yeah? But I'm like, well, why are we alike? Well, obviously in our physical appearance, yes, the curly hair, thanks mum, because, and the glasses, yeah, and the voice apparently, We look alike because I have her DNA, yeah? Makes sense. But in our mannerisms and in our personality, I think it's because we're in relationship. So if we never spent any time together, I'd probably still look like her, but we probably wouldn't act alike. So hopefully you can see where I'm going with this. At At our very core, we've been made in the image and the likeness of God. And that's a beautiful thing to just like for just a second. You have been made in the image and the likeness of God. Just like, what? So we're his children, and we bear something of his nature, but until we know him personally and we've responded to Jesus, we can't become like him in our nature. And so there's three words that I think are often used in Scripture together, and they mean different things. So I want to kind of dive in and have a really quick look at justification, at righteousness, and it's sanctification. If you're not like a words person, don't switch off, it's all good. I'm gonna explain what they are. In 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17, I wanna read it to you from the Amplified because the Amplified is awesome. Um, I feel like it was a, it was a translation um, written for people like me who were like, but more, give me more words. Tell me more things that I need to know about this, yeah? 
Some of you were like, no, I hate the words. So, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that is grafted in, joined to him by faith as saviour, he is a new creature, reborn and renewed by the Holy Spirit. The old things, the previous moral and spiritual condition have passed away. Behold, new things have come because spiritual awakening brings a new life. It says, but all these things are from who? From God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, making us acceptable to him. And he gave us the ministry of reconciliation so that by our example, we might bring others to him. So let me just encourage you. We are made right with God the second that we receive Jesus. The death and the resurrection of Jesus justifies us. It clears the debt of sin that we owed God. Yeah, because before we're in Christ, we actually owe God something. We owe him a debt. But when we come to Jesus, that legal record of wrongs against us is wiped out like it never even existed. It's not like, you know, back in school when you get your pen license and then whiteout becomes a real serious need. Yeah, it's not like whiteout where you just put the whiteout over the top, but if you scratch the whiteout, you can still see what's there. That's not what God's doing. He's not just covering over a little bit, but if you scratch at it again, you'll be like, oh, I knew it was still there. No, no, he's like ripped the page out, torn it up, burned it up and thrown it out. It's gone. It doesn't exist anymore. (laughs) So if you are in Christ today, then you've been justified. Justice has been served. You have received righteousness, so you have right standing before God. And you have become an entirely new creation that no one has ever seen before. Not like a person who's like, oh, you know, I get up in the morning and I put my face on and I put my clothes on and it's sort of I scrub myself up to look nice. It's not old me better. It's not version two. It's entirely new, never before seen. Yeah, new creature, new creation. And then we've got sanctification. And this is the ongoing process of being freed from sin and purified. (laughs) 2 Corinthians 7 verse 1 says, Since we have these promises, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Now, I think if we don't understand the sanctification process correctly, we can read a scripture like this and immediately we come under pressure and we think, oh, how am I supposed to do this? How do I do this? 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 gives us the answer in the Amplified again. Oh, yeah. It says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you. Through and through, that is, separate you from profane and vulgar things, make you pure and whole and undamaged. Who wants to be pure and whole and undamaged? (laughs) Consecrated to him, set apart for his purpose. And may your spirit and your soul and your body, yeah, all of you, be kept complete and be found blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful and absolutely trustworthy is he who is calling you to himself for salvation. And get this part, and he will do it. Who? Jesus will do it. He will fulfill his call by making you holy, guarding you, watching over you, and protecting you as his own. Wow. So we can't be made more justified or more righteous than we already are. There's not levels of right, you know, levels of justification. You're either justified or you're not. Because justification is something that God does for us. Yeah, we can't earn it. We know we can't earn it, so he does it for us. Whereas sanctification is what God does with us. It's accomplished by the Holy Spirit's power and his presence operating in our lives. I think one of the biggest problems that's facing the church as a whole today is that many people in it don't look any different to the world. There's so much pressure for the church to affirm the beliefs and the values of the world and to just accept everyone as they are, but with no expectation that people change. (laughs) 
And I know if you've been saved for a little while and you've been in church for a long time, you've probably heard people say, you know, come as you are. And I agree with that. That's 100% true. We should say to people, come as you are. Come with all of your sin. Come with your shortcomings. Come with your failures and let Jesus redeem you. That's the message. But we should never tell people to stay as they are. Because repentance, true repentance, means having a change of mind that leads to a changed life. Yeah? 1 Peter 2 verse 9 tells us this, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into a marvelous light. So we haven't been called to look like the world. We've been called to be in it, yeah, but we're not of it. The only thing that we're called to be in, according to John 15, is in Jesus. Just as he is in the Father, and the Father is in him. So our purpose here on earth, until Jesus comes back, is to proclaim the excellencies of him who's brought us from death to life. And to do that, we have to actually be set apart. I found this little scripture, it's just one verse in Hebrews 12, verse 14. I'm very happy about this. I don't know why, it just, you know when you just find one verse and you think, oh, was that always there? I mean, of course it was always there, I just, you know. It's Hebrews 12, 14 and it says, strive for peace with everyone and for holiness without which no one will see the Lord. And I was like, oh, I think that too many Christians have stopped reading after the first part. So we're striving to keep the peace with everyone, but we've missed or we ignored the part where we're also striving for holiness. And then we're wondering why no one is seeing the Lord and no one's getting saved. Striving for peace doesn't mean pandering to people's wrong views and to their sin, yeah? It means sharing the gospel of peace so that they can choose to respond to Jesus and be transformed, (laughs) bringing peace actually means loving people enough to want to save them from hell. Yeah, it means putting others first and sacrificing our lives for the sake of the kingdom. Jesus, you know Jesus actually never said it would be easy, yeah? (laughs) Like we have this idea that like, oh, I'm coming into the kingdom, I'm getting salvation and now it's gonna be easy. No. (laughs) Yeah, Jesus actually says, I came to bring division, that families will be divided against family. But he's coming because he's bringing his kingdom. But it's not peace on its own, yeah? It's peace and it's holiness working together. Because people who only bring good news, yeah? But they're living in sin, they're not appealing. They're like chips with no salt. Jesus called, in the Bible, Jesus called them hypocrites. Because he said, oh, you're all clean on the outside, but inside, it's like whitewashed tombs. Because he says, you're all about the good, bringing the good news, but that doesn't impact your life in any way. But those who come bringing an offer of peace from God and an invitation for salvation and living changed and holy free lives, they're really desirable. So today, I just want to encourage you that there's an opportunity to walk into a greater level of freedom in Christ. And I want to be really clear, this is not a salvation issue. This is the outworking of our salvation. Jesus said in John 10.10 that he came to give us life and life to the full. Some translations say life abundantly. So if you know Jesus, then you've already received life, you have salvation but are you receiving it abundantly? Are you living in the fullness of your salvation and all that Jesus has paid for you? I know I'm not. (laughs) I know there's more. There's more. There's an invitation. How much of the salvation that I paid for do you want? (laughs) Holiness doesn't come by running away from or ignoring or trying to justify our sin. It comes by actively pursuing Jesus. As we pursue intimacy with him and we prioritize time in his presence, we see him better. We know him better. And then we begin to look and act more like him. So rather than constantly focusing on trying not to sin, 
You know, when you're like, I won't think about this. I won't think about hippos. I won't think about hippos. I won't think about hippos. What are you thinking about? Hippos. Yeah? It's like, I won't sin. I won't sin. I won't do that thing. I won't do that thing. I won't do it again. What are you going to do? Probably going to do it again. Let's focus on following Jesus and responding to the Holy Spirit's voice and leading in our lives, yeah? See, Jesus is the king of a kingdom, yeah? And like any kingdom, there are rules that govern it because it's a kingdom. It's a supernatural, it's a spiritual kingdom, but it has rules. So everything in the kingdom of light and in the kingdom of darkness, it operates by permission, yeah? So you get to choose what you give permission to and what you partner with in your life. If you're under something, if there's something in your life that you don't want, it's there because you're allowing it. If you don't want it there, give it to Jesus and he will get rid of it. But we can't make the excuse of, I just can't get free, I can't do this, I'm under, I'm this, I'm that, but we won't actually allow Jesus in. Romans 6.22 says, But now that you've been set free from sin and you've become slaves of God, the fruit that you get leads to sanctification and its end is eternal life. So just like salvation comes when we choose to follow and obey Jesus, yeah? Sanctification comes and being set free comes when we say no to sin and to the plans of the enemy. Because just in case you didn't know, the enemy has plans for your life too. To stop you and to shut you down and to keep you bound. (laughs) But Jesus has a better plan. So we can say yes to God's plans and purpose for our lives. Okay, this is the last chunk from the Amplified, okay? There's three today. It's a big one. I love this. First Peter chapter 1, 13 to 17 says this. So prepare your minds for action. Be completely sober in spirit, steadfast, self-disciplined, spiritually and morally alert. Fix your hope completely on the grace of God that is coming to you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Live as obedient children of God. Do not be conformed to the evil desires which governed you in your ignorance before you knew the requirements and the transforming power of the good news regarding salvation. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves in all your conduct. Be set apart from the world by your godly character and your moral courage. It actually takes courage to stand up to the world and say, no, get lost. I, seriously, get lost. I don't want you in my life. It takes courage to actually be set apart and to say, no, no more. That's not me anymore. Because it is written, you shall be holy and set apart for I am holy, says God. If you address as father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, I love this, conduct yourselves in reverent fear of him and with profound respect for him throughout the time of your stay on earth. How many of us can say that we are living in reverent fear and profound respect for God? You can't be wholly devoted to multiple things. It's kind of obvious, yeah? Because you'll be partly devoted to one and partly devoted to another. So don't try and pursue holiness by trying to do good things, yeah? Trying to do good deeds. Pursue the one who's holy. And I just want you to like hear my heart. So I have to tell myself all the time to smile because I get like so intense and then my face is, my brain's like, smile, people will think you're angry. I'm not angry, I'm just passionate. I'm not saying these things because I'm like, I have this all worked out, I have it all together, you people just need to sort yourselves out, okay? I'm saying this for my benefit as well. The Holy Spirit, because he's good, yeah, has been calling me recently to repent of stuff in my life that doesn't honor God and to get free of mindsets and habits that are not compatible with a life that's devoted to Jesus. Yeah, if you ever say yes to preaching, by the way, I'll just let you know on a little secret, whatever you're planning to preach on, the Lord will get you in that. But he does it because he loves us and also so that we're not hypocrites when we stand up and we preach. (laughs) 
It's not always easy. Yeah. It's not always easy to actually admit that you have to change and that you have areas in your life that you haven't given Jesus access to yet. And so this brings me, I'm so glad we got here to the second point. I told you it was a big chunk. So the first is that the bride of Christ is called to be a holy people. The second is that we're called to be a humble people. Mm. I have three H's today. Just worked out well like that. So um, I like looking up the definitions of words. So I was like, oh, I guess I should look up humble, even though I was like, I know what it means, but I just like to look anyway. And I was really struck by the difference between sort of the secular worldly view and the biblical view. So if you just Google humble or humility, Google tells you this. It's having a modest or a low estimate of your importance, not considering yourself better than others or being without pride. And I was like, yeah, okay, that sounds about right. Biblical humility, though, is this. Believing what God says about you over anybody else's opinion, including your own. It requires embracing who you are in Christ over who you are in the flesh. And this is my favorite part. To be biblically humble is to be so free of concern for your own ego that you unreservedly elevate those around you. (laughs) I was like, I wonder what the church would look like if it was made up of people who were so secure that they unreservedly elevated Jesus in their lives. Last week, Paul did a beautiful job talking about God's intention in the garden in the Garden of Eden, and how Adam and Eve weren't embarrassed about being naked. And I I was like, why were they not ashamed of being naked? It's because spiritually they weren't naked, because they were actually clothed in the righteousness and the glory of God. You see, being at peace with God made them secure because they had nothing to be ashamed of. They knew who they belonged to, they knew what they looked like in God's eyes, and they knew what he had called them to do. I think too many people come to Christ and they never have a right foundation of identity laid, so then everything that they do in their walk from that point is being built upon this shaky spiritual ground. Humility, it goes hand in hand with security and with identity, Because if you don't have a secure heart, if you don't know who you belong to, if you don't know how God sees you, if you don't understand that you're a son and you're a daughter, then suddenly humility becomes like really self-deprecating. So when we don't have a spirit of sonship, we operate from an orphan spirit, yeah? And it sounds like, I'll never be good enough. I can't fully trust God. I can't come close to him. I don't even know why he loves me. God isn't on my side. God is still angry with me. And there's lots of versions of that. And maybe even as I'm saying them, some of those might be resonating in you thinking, oh, that's, I've had that thought. That's, that's how I feel. That's, that's normal to me. Is that not normal? When we're secure and we know in our hearts, yeah, not just in our heads, that God deeply loves us and that's why Christ died for us, then suddenly humility sounds like, yeah, I know I'm not worthy. But I also know that I have great value and great worth in the eyes of the Father. And it's his love for me that compelled Jesus to come. It's like holding the two in tension. And our focus shifts to how good God is and how gracious he is. And it produces this heart response of wanting to worship him and serve him with our lives. And then along with this awesome revelation of the love of God is an expectation that because he is so good, that he's going to discipline and shape and mold us and he's going to help us to grow to become more like him. So I said before, I've got my two kids. As a parent, I don't really like having to discipline my children. It's not a pleasant part of being a parent. But I do it because ultimately I want them to obey Jesus and to represent him well. It's not even just because I want them to obey me or to make me look good. It's because I'm trying the best that I can to look at the bigger picture and go, okay, how do I help 
train my children to hear God's voice and respond, yeah? So even though sometimes my kids get upset at me in the moment when I'm disciplining them, they don't like it. Ultimately, they know, because I build relationship with them, yeah, ultimately they know that I love them and that I have their best at heart and so that keeps our relationship intact when the discipline comes. If we know that God is a good father and that his plan for sanctification is for our own good, then when he corrects and he stretches and he challenges us, we don't push back. We don't run away. We don't resist. Instead, we cooperate with and we surrender to him, yeah? And imagine this, right? As we get mature, we maybe even thank him for bringing us into greater levels of freedom. That's like a whole, like my kids have never said, thanks for that, mum. You know, when I've disciplined them, thank you. I see what you're doing there. I see the bigger picture. I see your wisdom and I like it. It hurts, but I like it. That's because my children are eight and nine, yeah? So they haven't got the maturity and that's normal because they're children, yeah? But we have to grow from being children of God to being still children, but adults, yeah? Who actually go, I see the purpose of the discipline. So let me just share with you God's heart. Psalm 149 verse four says, for the Lord takes delight in his people and he crowns the humble with victory. Jesus takes delight in you and he actually wants to give you victory. Psalm 25, nine says, he guides the humble in what is right and he teaches them his way. Humility is a grace that attracts more grace because pride will close the door to spiritual growth. But humility will open the door of your life to more of God's grace. Not salvation. We're not talking about like salvation. We're talking about grace, yeah? And I just want us to hear, God doesn't teach us because it makes us more valuable or more worthy. He does it because it makes us more useful and effective. There's a difference. It's not about value and worth, it's about effectiveness. If we want to live lives of victory, then it starts by humbling ourselves before the Lord and allowing him to transform us. But the best part about submitting your life to the Lord is that as he works in you, then he also starts to work through you. And the areas of freedom and growth that you've experienced in your own life, you know those ones, those victories that you've won, that you're like, no one can take that away from me. No one can steal my testimony of what God has done. Try and take it away from me. You know those things that you've fought and you've walked and you've wrestled with God and he's brought you out the other side? Those are the victories that you can release to other people who are in the same kind of break, who need that same kind of breakthrough. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding, Proverbs 3 tells us. Humility not only acknowledges that God knows better than us and that his plans for our lives are best, but it continually seeks for more of him. The more free we get, the more effective we get in God's kingdom, yeah? And surely, like our heart's cry cry should be, God, use me to bring you glory. So this brings me to my third, my last point today. Are you hungry for more of God and hungry to see him move? Yeah, so the bride of Christ is called to be a hungry people. John Piper said this, if we don't feel strong desires for the manifestation of the glory of God, it's not because we have drunk deeply and are satisfied. It's because we have nibbled so long at the table of the world, our soul is stuffed with small things and there is no room left for the great. He talks about this idea that like so many Christians today are snacking their way through the day on junk food activities. You know, they found no time to feast with the Lord. And then we complain about our busyness and our tiredness Like, I don't have time. You know, my schedule's too full, I'm too busy. 
But usually this points to a spiritual problem, not a problem of schedule. What it reveals is that, and this is like, can sound harsh, but it actually reveals that what we desire is everything except for God. Because like we prioritize, we give time for the things that we prioritize, don't we? And the things we value. So we take God in small doses throughout the day and throughout the week, and then we somehow hope that when we get to church on a Sunday that we're gonna catch up on our time with the Lord. Like, oh, no, it's okay, it's all good because I've got Sunday morning, like hour and a half, yeah? Hour and a half on Sunday morning. And we almost get a bit like, I go to church every week. Did you know that? Every week. But then there's this. So David, yeah, wrote a lot of the Psalms. And this is what he says in Psalm 84. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. When was the last time that your heart and your flesh cried out for God's presence? Because when you do, well, hopefully it was recently. (laughs) Hopefully it was this morning. When you do, God will rush in and fill you fully. When the number one desire of your soul is to be filled with God, when that's the supreme urgency of your soul and you're reaching out to God and you're crying out to him, he will pour out his power and his presence on you like never before. In Psalm 63, David says this, You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. In a dry and parched land where there is no water, I have seen you in the sanctuary. How many of you have seen God and beheld your power and your glory? Because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. He says, I will be fully satisfied. As with the richest of foods, with singing lips, my mouth will praise you. And then Psalm 42 says, As the deer pants for streams of water, my soul pants for you, God. My soul thirsts for the Lord, for the living God. And he says, when? When can I go and meet with God? When does a hunger like this come? I think when you've discovered that ultimately that the flesh will fail you. The things of the flesh can never give us what we need. But the Holy Spirit has the power and the ability to fill us completely. So earlier, well, I guess this year, Um, I've been sick a lot, I'm feeling great now, but I had a really long stint there where I was just really sick and I know there's many of you who, it's like you just can't catch a break and every time you think you're getting well again, you just get sick again and it just has been rough and I know a lot of you that have got small kids, it's like one of the kids and then it's you and it's back and it's a cycle and it's just like ugh. And after a while, you know, you just get really tired. It's physically tiring, but it also just starts to get like emotionally and mentally tiring too. And it can almost begin to feel like there's just this weariness in your soul. And unfortunately, you know, when we're feeling drained and exhausted, it can begin to impact our spiritual lives. And about a month ago, um, or however long, month, six weeks, um, we were here at church on a Sunday morning, and there was an invitation at the end of uh, the preach to respond to God if you wanted more of him. And like, I'm just being honest. Initially, I was like, I don't even want to go up. I'm so tired. I don't, and I thought to myself, I don't even know if I can. It feels like too much effort to even go up. And there was this kind of wrestle in my spirit. And then I was like, no, I am going to go. So I came, you know, well, I came, I'm in the front already, so I kind of came one step forward, you know. (laughs) I moved forward slightly. Um, Yeah, yeah, I took a step. Thank you, Sharon. I took a step of faith. And God honors that. Even one little step, one of just, okay, one step, he sees it. Yeah? Anyway, so I'm standing there. I've got my hands up. I'm surrendering to the Lord. I'm like, Father, I give control to you. You know, I'm surrendering to you. And then I was like, okay, go now. Go, 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 go. Okay, now. Nothing. And I was like, wait, what? Like, isn't, aren't you supposed, because like I'm surrendering, so you're supposed to like do something, so like move now. I didn't feel anything. And I was like, okay, I guess I'll just step back then, you know. 
And I was like, that was really weird. Like nothing happened. And then the week after, I came to church and I really didn't want to come because I'd had a really bad night's sleep. I'd been coughing all night and I was so tired. And I'm not like a big teary person. I was very teary and emotional and I was like, I can't talk to anyone because it's just too hard. And so I was kind of just hiding a little, I was hiding at the front again. Who hides at the front? Um, I was hiding at the front and there was another invitation to come. And I'm actually crying. Like, I'm crying and saying, God, I'm so tired. I need you to help me come and bring refreshing, like, you know, do something. And I'm pouring my heart out to the Lord. Nothing. And I was starting to get a bit annoyed at God because I was like, I mean, what do you want from me? Like, I'm here, I'm surrendering, I'm saying come, and I'm not feeling anything. So then the next week we go to the Aussie Equip. And um, we're in Sydney, you know, God's doing stuff, it's great, lots of great teaching, awesome worship. Middle night, the Thursday night, a guy called Cliff Cherry, he's one of the, um, he leads a church in New Zealand. He gets up, he's speaking about the Holy Spirit, it's awesome. And of course, he's like, well, we can't talk about Holy Spirit and then not make room for him, so we're going to make room. So I was like, oh, great, awesome. So people start to respond. There's people going up to get baptized. There's people getting delivered. There's people being refreshed. God's just doing what he wants to do. And I'm sitting in my seat and I was like, okay, cool. So like, what now? Because I had an expectation. I was like, I'm expecting for God to do something. I want him to do something. And, um, and mum and Beth and Gabby, they're having a great old time in the one side, the one corner laughing, yeah? And, um, and I, was like, it, I was like really happy for them. I thought, that's so awesome. Like God's really touching them. You know, he's bringing joy. It's great. Anyway, so at one point I look across and I just like, I make eye contact with Gabby. If you've ever made eye contact with Gabby across the room, it's like... So nah. So she looks across and she like jokingly, but seriously, she goes like this, here, have some. And she throws the laughter towards me. And in my spirit, I felt you should catch it. And I was like, okay. And it's all happening, you know, like in a split second. So I reached out and I caught the laughter. And then about a minute later, bam, God just smashed me. I start laughing, and like, I haven't laughed like that before yet. It's not like a thing that I'm like, oh, I always laugh like that, or never before. I am just laughing and laughing and laughing, and I'm snorting, and I'm being super like undignified and like moving around and the whole thing. And I was like, I don't care. I don't care what it looks like. And the reason I'm telling you this is not because it's actually like, oh, it's about the laughter or it's about that particular manifestation or now we all have to go after this thing. No, it's the effect that it had on me. You see, because in my heart of hearts, I'd been crying out to God because I was sick of being sick. I was tired. I'd had enough. And what I wanted was like a fresh touch from him. But I was like, I don't even know how to ask. I don't even know quite what I need. But God's so gracious and he's so good and he knows each of us so well that he knew exactly what I needed even when I didn't quite have the language for it. And now I know what I needed was the joy of the Lord to strengthen me. And as I laughed, I literally felt tiredness and weariness and heaviness lift off of me. And all I could think was, I am so happy right now. I've never been this happy before. God is so good. God is so good. God is so good. I'm so happy. Over and over again. And I'm laughing and laughing and laughing. And I'm thinking, there is no one else who can do this. There is no comparison to being in the presence of the Lord. Jesus is desperate to pour out his spirit upon people. He knows how life-changing his presence is. And all it requires is our yes. He meets us at our hunger and he fills us. But so often we have ideas about what we want God to do or how we want him to do it or when we want him to do it. 
And I don't know why we think that we should try to control God. Like now I look back and I'm like, who are you to be like, well, come on then. Like as if I'm going to try and dictate to the God of the universe when he brings his presence. And like you laugh, but it's like we do. We're like, I want it this way, I want it that way, and I want it now. And he's like, well, I don't know if that's actually what's best for you. I do. The best part about being full year is you get to share what you've got. So there's an overflow from our lives into the lives of others. And when we've experienced God move in our lives, we get really passionate and we want others to know about him too. And we stop striving and we stop feeling under pressure to have to, because we have to share the good news because it's actually just a joy and a privilege to share what you have. And you're like, why would people not want this? At the start, yeah, I joked about the hot chips and how about something should go together. Uh, but I really do believe that church, yeah, us, we should be a community of people who are seeking to live holy lives, to humbly respond to the Lord and who are hungry for more of his presence. Maybe you've been walking with Jesus a long time and you found ways to do this and found ways that work. Can I encourage you, if you're in that space, share what you've learned with other people. If you've just gotten to know Jesus and you've just gotten saved recently, you might be like, I'm not quite sure how to do this. How do I live a life like that? Find somebody else who's further along than you. And don't just wait for someone to come to you, yeah? Be a bit assertive. Like in the kingdom, if you want things, you have to be assertive. You've got to be bold. So if you want to grow, ask somebody else and say, hey, can we grow together? Can you disciple me? Because I see that, not because you've got it all together, but I can see you following Jesus and becoming like him. Can I follow you while you follow him? Yeah? And get into a discipleship group. Because it's a whole bunch of us all following Jesus, trying to become more like him together, and we get to do that. Yeah, that's one of the key ways that we get to grow. All right, I better finish because I'm definitely had 40 minutes now. I just want to leave you with this. Um, there's a song that I've been listening to um, on repeat. My kids are like, why do you keep listening to this song, Mum, all the time? Um, it's by a band called Influence Music, and it's about the Holy Spirit. Um, and I just wanted to read some of the lyrics to you because I feel like it kind of nicely finishes off what we've been talking about. It says this. Um, we need a helper, someone to bring to mind the promises you've made. We need a friendship, the kind who sees it all but loves us anyway. We need a counsellor, full of wisdom, speaking only what is right. We need the spirit of the saviour who brings dead things back to life. We need the presence of the anointed one residing in our hearts. We need conviction to purify and make us holy like you are. So let your spirit lead us through into power, into truth. Reveal your word and make us new. We want more of you. And then it finishes off. It says, stir something up in your people. A hunger for heaven revealed. We're not afraid of the unknown. We want to live in the overflow. And every time I listen to it, which is many times, I'm just reminded of how good the Father is for sending Jesus and how good Jesus is for sending us the Holy Spirit and that we can't be who he's called us to be and we can't do what he's called us to do without his power and his presence in our lives. So um, can with the music team, would you guys mind coming up? We, um, we never want to finish and then not make space for God to do what he wants to do. Hopefully, you know, you came today with an expectation that God was going to do something and that he was going to do it for you or in you. Um, you know, if God's been speaking to you maybe this morning about holiness, maybe there's something that, Holy Spirit's highlighted to you, it could be a sin. It could be a mindset or a habit that you're in. If God is highlighting to you, don't allow the con condemnation to come upon you. 
but see it as grace being released. And if there's anything that you go, actually, no, I know because God's bringing it to my mind now, just repent. Repentance is a beautiful thing because it acknowledges what Jesus has done and it gives us an opportunity to come into freedom. Maybe God's just been speaking to you about humility and about surrendering to Him. Maybe He wants to do something in transforming your identity today. Maybe some of those things I spoke about resonated with you and you went, actually, I think there is something there. I think God needs to shift and transform my thinking. I'd encourage you to partner with Him in that. It's not what we're going to do. It's partnering with what God's going to do, yeah. Maybe you're just like, I just want more. I'm hungry. If you're hungry for more of God, come. Because His Word says that He meets us at our hunger, yeah. And let me encourage you, don't do what I did. Don't try and control what God's going to do or when He's going to do it or how He's going to do it. Like we have to get to this point where we want Him more then we're worried about what it's going to be. <laughs> and that's hard because there's that thing of like, well, what will I look like? What will happen? What will He do? But I know from my own experience and I know from the Word, it says that He only gives good gifts. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. God doesn't know how to do anything but good. He can't because it's actually not in his nature. So if you will trust him with your hunger, he will give you a good gift this morning. So can we stand? And let's just, as the music team plays, let's just respond to God however you need to. Maybe it's none of these things. Maybe God's spoken something else to you today. But whatever it is the Holy Spirit's saying, would you surrender to him and partner with him in that? hope you've enjoyed this week's message. If you have any questions or would like more information, please contact us at melbournelightschurch.com.au.